Well, as most of you know, um, it's been quite a whirlwind for us, the Brandon family, this past summer. I just had a lot of things going on. Um, kind of drew me away from uh, the church this summer, but I was back for some weekends, but was busy. So we had a, a week at youth camp. That uh, was a great time. Um, but coming back, didn't preach that Sunday, but got to sit and listen, which was wonderful. And and uh, two weeks I spent at Southern Seminary. Uh, one went to church down there at Third Avenue Baptist Church. had a had a great time and was gone for two and a half weeks in California vacation. And during that time we were gone. So three Sundays, uh, my family was gone. I was gone and uh, had the chance to visit actually four different churches uh, this past summer. And uh, I, you know what? I very much enjoy going to other churches. I. Uh, uh, like experiencing what God is doing in other places, uh, it's a chance for me really to sit back and let others lead, which I very much enjoy. Very much enjoy watching. Um, I, I love listening to the priest word uh, from other people. Um, it's it's helpful. It's helpful for me to see how other churches arrange their services, arrange their their ministries. Uh, it's all it's all very edifying. And I think one of the most interesting, helpful things is that is that I get to be like one of you when I'm, when I'm not preaching. Um, m- meaning that, that when I'm not preaching, my Saturday nights and Sunday mornings look a lot different. I go to bed with hardly a, a care on my mind, and uh, I wake up a little later on Sunday morning than, than usual because, see, when it comes to Saturday night, Sunday morning, and kind of all week long, my, my mind is, is like intensely fixed, and I think about my message, what, I, what I'm going to say, um, but when I'm not preaching, it's, it's, just, it's just not there as much, and, and I need to confess that I pray a lot less when I'm not preaching than when I am preaching. So I, yes, I, I pray for those preaching at Rock Valley Bible Church when I'm not, or where I'm going, but I don't pray as fervently as when I am preaching. You know, and, and there's something that I love about preaching that creates this healthy dependence upon the Lord uh, just to strengthen me, help me see what I'm going to say and, and help in that. In, in some sense, I, I think I'm like a football player. Okay? The football player, right, has his game on Sunday, NFL anyway, whatever, Saturday you can translate it to, and then works all week long in terms of the, the preparation and time and, and, and goes and then has his big event, his big game and really succeeds, rejoices in his successes. And, and uh, his experience on the field is a lot different than someone who is in the crowd. I mean, it just, it just is. I mean, the, the football player is, is all intense and ready to go, and he's dirty and grimy, and then someone in the, the crowd is, is just like cheering them on, right, enjoying their hot dogs. And not, not that that's you, but there, there's some, some level of analogy with that, I, I think, that you can understand. And um, that analogy helps to explain what happened in my heart this summer as I, I went to some of these other churches. Um, you know, I went away kind of cold. And um, it's no fault the churches themselves. Music was good. Preaching was good. Um, I mean, I can just... Greg Gilbert preached a great message on Second Peter chapter 2. And uh, Tony Sinelli preached a great message from Hebrews 7. And Jerry Wong preached a, a great message from Second Corinthians 4. 
And then Pastor Scott, I don't even know his last name, preached a message from, first, from uh, Matthew 1. And just a lot of, all these guys different, but all very healthy, very good. Preaching was good. People at churches were friendly, had good conversation with them. But I still went away, went away cold. And it could be because of my own coldness of heart. I'm not above that at all. And maybe it's my intensity in prayer and preparation isn't normally what it is. Uh, could have been that. But, but I think there was something else going on. Um, because last week, as I walked in the door, even though I wasn't preaching last week, it was like it changed. And I, and I think what was going on is relationship. My relationship with these other churches um, was really very, very little. So not that my relationship with the churches were bad, um, but just shallow. I mean, because... Um, was I attended these churches, I knew a few people, whether I knew friends or family or, uh, that, that attended, um, and I got to meet some friends and things like that, but um, there weren't a lot that I knew, and I had no intention of returning again the next Sunday because I knew of our schedule, and, and maybe then next year when we're out in California again, maybe I'll have a chance to, to visit these churches again, but, but here's what I felt. I felt like I was just coming to perform some religious duty. Um, like it was my duty to attend a Sunday morning service, and uh, having done my religious duty, I was on my way. And, and something, I'm just telling you, just didn't feel quite right. And, and I really think that the, the difference was just, just my relationship and just my, my commitment to coming back. Because you know what, if, if we would have come back, say, to the church we went to in Tahoe, we would have gone to the picnic that they invited us to. They said, hey, everybody here, I'm not sure if you're a visitor, whatever, come to this big picnic. They're going to be at someone's house. We got enough food for you, come. But we knew that we wouldn't be back next for a while, so we, we didn't go. But if we would have, we would have been at that picnic, and we would have started to get to know people, and we'd have gotten their lives, and things would have begun to turn. Or I would have met with that pastor who wanted to get together with me, who called. Uh, Tony Sonelli called me. We, he's been here before. He, he called me midweek, and I happened to be gone. He said, hey, Steve, um, good to see you back again. Maybe you want to get together. And we were gone all week, but if we were around, I certainly would have met with him and would have stirred some things. Or maybe we would have gone to a fellowship group or a Bible study, and, and we would have seen those people in the church again next week. And with the experience of community, I, I think that my, my church Sunday experiences would be different than just going and attending a church service which left me empty. I'm, I'm not, not blasing, placing blame at all on the other churches. It, it, it's on me. But here's the deal. There's a big difference between going to church and doing church. I mean, going to church is what I think we did um, this summer. We just kind of went, kind of did a Sunday thing, and we're gone. Within whatever, after an hour or two or three, and... and um, it's just, it's just different, as opposed to, like, I walked into this place where, I mean, we do church here, where we know people, we love people, and we talk with people, and we pray with people, we have relationship with them, and I'm in community with people I love, and people I love are in community with me, and it changes Sunday mornings, rather than just having no connection with people, just kind of doing something, and here's what really struck me is that in America today, the number of people just going to church has got to be huge. They just kind of go, do their big thing, and 
do their thing and then go home. Hardly any contact with people at the church throughout the week. And it struck me here that there might be people here at Rock Valley Bible Church who are just going to church. You kind of go, and then you leave, and then, well, see you next Sunday. Well, see you next Sunday. And I guess the coldness of my heart gave me a compassion, if that's really where you are. Maybe you're without a church home. You're visiting today or something. Just, it just, just kind of broke me a little bit and just said, wow. If that's what church is like, if that's what church is like for most people, it's very shallow, very hollow, very empty. And if that's you, it's not because Rock Valley Bible Church, oh, we're not the most perfect church in the world, but there are opportunities here. It speaks more about you than it does about the church, that, that you'll come 10 or maybe a little bit after and leave quickly afterwards and not really be involved or know or love people because you don't know them. And if, I, if this is you, I simply say that you are missing out on a great blessing in your life. Now that I, I've been on, on your side a little bit and felt how empty it can be, that could be you. And I, I just say there's something far greater doing church together or being the church, if you will. Now here's a little test, okay? You say, oh, well, I don't know where I am. And certainly there's on that spectrum... Okay, and, and me being a pastor, I, I'm like way over here on doing the church, lots of contact with you uh, all throughout the week, lots of different things going on. Um, but you might be on one side or the other. But here's, here's, a, here's a good little test to see where you are, at least on that scale somewhere. How many times this past week did you connect with people of the church? By connection, I mean like a, a phone call or maybe a meeting or maybe having others in your home, or maybe exercising together, or coffee together, or a a meal together, or a text, or an email. Not just a group email, okay, but one like like personally, like, like you're really communicating, connecting. I'm talking about any kind of connection, right? How many times did you connect with people of the church this week? And I don't have a, a scale at all, but if that's on the lower end... It could be that your experience of church has a lot to do with just your lack of connectedness. And, and, and all of us reach some point of, of limit, you know, and if you're way over on this side, I, I trust that, that you're experiencing all the joy of, of what that is. And I, I think that the big, the big measure of that is, right, that, that whatever number it is, are you content with that? Like, are you content going from a Sunday to Sunday and having... Maybe two contacts with people throughout the week. Or maybe one, or maybe none. Are you content with that? And I just encourage you, as from one who was in your situation this past summer a little bit, that, that pushing that more changes everything about church and changes everything about, about your worship. I remember a, a song, a little, little song as a child... Okay, I uh, was asking my wife about it this morning, and she didn't know this song. So help me, if you will. I'm going to start singing. If you know, sing along. The church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. Help me now. The church is not a resting place. (laughs) All right. You know what? All right. I didn't finish the song yet, but none of you. How many of you know that song? Wendy, are you the only one? Who else? 
Who else? Gina, you were singing it? You think so? Okay. All right. All right. Well, we're singing, we're singing And Can It Be this morning, and I'm right there with, with Stephanie, and um, I'm not looking at the words, and she's like, Dad, do you know this? And I said, yeah, I've sung this many times, one of my favorite hymns. And she said, um, but I, I know it, but I haven't, I haven't, I don't have it memorized. And I said, I haven't memorized because I, I love that hymn. I said, Stephanie, you know, the first time I heard that hymn was when I was 20 years old. I said, the church I grew up in didn't sing that hymn because it's about salvation and what God does in the heart. She said, what kind of church did you grow up in, Dad? I guess I grew up in the kind of church that sings this song. The church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. The church is a people. What the church is about, it's about the bride of Christ, about the people of God. The idea of my message this summer, as we've been really scattered, before we hit Romans here in the fall, we're going to start and we'll just plow through Romans just verse by verse. This summer's been unique because I've been bouncing around so much, I thought let's just let the sermons bounce around. We've been focusing on the one another's. How God calls us to act and behave as people in the church. We've been called to encourage one another. And to pray for one another. And to serve one another. And love one another. And show hospitality to one another. And honor one another. Forgive one another. Accept one another. Bear one another's burdens. And this morning, we get to our tenth one another. To stir up one another. And and here's the reality. Is that you cannot do these things with one another... If your sole contact is on Sunday morning with, these, with us. If you just come in at 10 o'clock and leave kind of quickly after that. You, you cannot honor one another and love one another and serve one another. And bear one another's burdens, accept one another. You just can't do it. Unless you are with everyone in community. Because that's God's call upon our life. Is to have lives that so intersect that... In our talks, in our discussions, here on Sunday, <clears throat> afterwards, throughout the week, we would encourage one another. And encourage me. You need to talk to people. You need to shoot them an email. You need to text them. I'm praying for you. Helping you, right? Can, can I do something? How about this? Encourage people. You, you can't pray for one another, really, unless you know what's going on. You can pray just in general, like you can pray for the world. God bless the missionaries. But you've got to know and be in intersection life with people to know what, what's going on, to pray for them in a right way. You can't serve them if you no contact with them. You can't love them unless you are with them. You can't show hospitality to one another, which is loving strangers and bringing people into your world without having contact with people. You can't honor one another without seeing and knowing what's going on. You can't forgive one another unless you're close enough to a relationship where you're going to sin against each other. You can't accept one another and all the foibles that we have unless you're living close enough to be offended by some things. You can't bear one another's burdens if you don't know the burden to bear. And so likewise today, you can't stir up one another if you don't have your stick in the pot. You just can't, can't do it. Well, this morning our message comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. You turn there, if you like, in your Bibles. <clears throat> It is another one, another passage. This is in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, of course, is written to Hebrew people. These are Jewish people who had um, come into the church. They had heard about Jesus, the Messiah. Many of them embraced and believed. Some of them were on the fence. And some of them were in danger of going back to their old life of Judaism. 
and the author to the Hebrews had one thing in common or one message. He said, don't go back. So what you have in Jesus is far better than what you had in Judaism. What you had the Old Testament promises and the priests and the whole religious system. Jesus fulfills all that and he is so much better. Jesus is better than the scriptures. They spoke about, about promises different ways, but God spoke in his son. It's in Jesus that he spoke today. Jesus is better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than Aaron. He is better than all of the high priests because he did what none of the high priests could do. He is the the author of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. He has offered a sacrifice, which is better than any of the Old Testament sacrifices have been offered. And so the message is, don't turn back. Press on. Or, really, the, the message of the Hebrews is, Jesus is better, so press on. Don't turn back. Don't fall away. Don't drift away. Don't go back. But press on in your knowledge of Christ, your love for Him. Well, let's begin reading the paragraph, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus and by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through the flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And here's our text. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Here we see the gospel, right? is that Jesus has given us a better way into God's presence. That's through the sacrifice of Jesus, through trusting in Him and His blood to make atonement for our sins, these filthy hands that just simply bring, bring filthy rags is all we bring. We can come and raise holy hands that's been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And this is the, the lettuce portion of Scripture, right? The, the lettuce, verse 22, lettuce, verse 23, and lettuce, verse 24. Let us draw near to God. Since we have access to God straight through Jesus, let's draw near. Let's go to Jesus. Let's go to God. Not through the priests. And let us hold fast. Let's hold on to Jesus and cling to Him and not let go in any way. And let us... Consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that verses 19 through 23 really speak about vertically going to God. Right? Let drawing near to God and holding fast to Him through Jesus. Don't ever let go. Don't, don't ever release that for something else. And then 24 and 25 are on the horizontal realm. Considering how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And I do believe this is why I left the church as cold this summer is because verse 24 is difficult to do on a Sunday morning only. And I was a Sunday morning only member of those churches, participant of those churches. Uh, I don't know the people of the churches. I won't see many of them ever again. How, how can I stimulate them to love and good deeds? How can they stimulate me to love and good deeds? We've just even begun a relationship. But, just, but you've got to have some depth there in order to stir one another on to love and good deeds. Because to fulfill verse 24, 
requires a relationship. You need to have a relationship. You're going to stir others to love and good deeds. And that's the idea of verse 25 is, is forming that relationship. Not, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. There are some who didn't meet together. They were Lone Ranger Christians out there, Lone Ranger people. But he says, no, no, you need to meet together. Because you need to know each other. And in that meeting, you need to encourage one another. And especially as that day draws near, that eschatological day when Christ comes back is is driving us on to really press on until until that time when He comes back. We need to meet together regularly for encouragement. To keep walking in the way. And I just say, that is a big purpose of ours on Sunday morning. Is encouragement. Right, that to remind us, as we did in our songs today, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Like, can I? How can it be that that God died for me and blows us away again afresh with the gospel? That Christ died for our sins. That we're not made righteous through our own efforts, but we're justified through faith in Christ, and that's how we can bring to Him holy hands of worship. And these beliefs then, we press them on Sundays to translate into our lives. And then the rest of the week, we have opportunity with the things that we remember about God to walk in a right way. And our songs are geared to remind us of these realities of our faith. We read the scriptures to, to set us in line with the truth. And we pray coming to God as a congregation, a unified congregation, pleading and seeking His help, which we need in our great weakness. And we preach His word to open up our hearts and our minds to God and all that He has for us. But as much as this public ministry helps... There's also this personal ministry that needs to take place in the interaction one to another. And and that's what verse 24 is talking about. There's this personal ministry one towards another. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another, stir up one another to love and good deeds. So verses simply calls believers to do what God calls believers to do is, is love. Love and good deeds. I mean, that, that's what the essence of being a Christian is really about, fleshing out our faith. Our faith in God, we're justified before Him, but so what does it mean? It means we love others, and we do good to others. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And, and, and John reminds us that this isn't just a slogan, this isn't words. It's not just, oh, I love you. No, it's backed by, by words. First John 3.18 Little children, let us not love with word or tongue only, but with deed and truth. In deeds is how we're to love, express ourselves in good works for one another. Do you realize that when God saves us from our sins, He saves us for a purpose? Titus 2.14 says this, Christ Jesus gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. He saves us so we would put away the evil deeds and pursue radically the good deeds. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. By grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves the gift of God, and us result of the works that no one could boast. That we're saved by grace, but we're saved unto works. For we are His workmanship. See, God makes us His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the works that God prepared us beforehand to do. So he makes us these works that we are 
to do and be about. I mean, this is what faith expressed is. Faith without works is dead. God saves a people to produce a people who will act upon their faith in love and good deeds. Such is the will of God. That's what this verse is calling us to. Love and good deeds. Sort of. Because as much as it's calling us to that, that's not exactly what verse 24 is saying. Look again. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Verse 24 is a call to encourage one another to love and good deeds. In other words, the text says it's not enough just to love one another and do good deeds, do good works. But you need to stimulate others to love and do good deeds. Isn't it the main thought of verse 24, right? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. See, it's not just to, okay, I'm loving and doing my good deeds by myself. No, it's, it's your call even to be outward focused to stir others up to do love and good deeds. God, God wants us to bring others along in the party. Bring others along in the love. Bring others along helping them in the good deeds. Now, we're called to stir up one another. The NAB SB translates this, stimulate one another. The NAV says, spur one another on. Now, in the original Greek, this word is normally used in a negative sense. Provoke, irritate, rouse to anger. So a good way to translate this would be provoke. Now, I trust you know what I'm talking about. Particularly some of you children know what it is to provoke. Um, you know, we have this problem about nightly at our dinner table, and I still can't figure out why David and Stephanie still sit together. But was it last night? Last night. I said, okay, Stephanie, you're down there here. I'm going to sit here right between them because they have this provoking problem. <laughs> Maybe, children, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's like a, a little poke on the leg. And at first, it's like, oh, you poked me. It's okay, it's okay. I'm not realizing that it was intentional. And it only takes a, a couple, two, three, four, five more pokes to realize, hey, she, that was intentional. What are you doing? I don't like that. And then pretty soon, even during our prayers for our meal last night, there's some, some provoking, right? Love doesn't do that. It says love is not irritable. Same word. Love isn't provoking. Love isn't prodding like that. Sometimes I've seen people just like, like pick at people just to kind of like irritate them. That, that's not what love is like. But in this context, the provoking is a good provoking. It's a provoking to love. It's a provoking to good deeds. It, it's, a, it's a sort of provoking that, that you and your friend do when you say, hey, let's go to the gym at 6 a.m. before work. Okay, yeah, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that either, but we're going to like provoke each other. And when your alarm goes off at 5 o'clock in the morning, the last thing you want to do is get out of bed. But you, oh, my friend's going to be there at 6. I better be there at 6. And it's a wonderful way of provoking you, irritating you, if you will, to love and good deeds, to get to the gym to do what's good. And that's our text this morning. We are to provoke one another, not to anger, but to provoke in a different way, to love and good deeds. You say, well, okay, how's this to be done? All right. 
First of all, let's step back a little bit more in verse 24. You need to think about it. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Right? Let us consider. Let's think about it. Take some effort of your mind. Okay? How is this to be done? How are you going to provoke others to love and good deeds? Requires some study. Not of doctrine, but of people. Not of people in general, but of specific people that you know, those in the community of faith. It's done like this. You get to know people at church. And you study them. How do you study people? You ask them questions. You start trying to figure out what it's about. You find out their strengths. You find out their weaknesses. You discover their gifts. You see what areas of need they have in your life, in their lives. You observe areas in which they, they flourish. And you detect areas in which they're floundering. And, and, and you think about these things. And you think about, okay, how can I take this person with all this, all this individuality and uniqueness, how can I encourage them to love and good deeds? And, and one simple way is just to talk to them. When you see them doing something commendable, they're flourishing in something, you encourage that on and say, Nice job. Well done. I appreciate that. Well, God has gifted you in this great way. I, I, I appreciate this thing you did. Or I, I noticed that. I saw that. Because isn't there something that, that when you do something and someone notices you're doing, what does it do? Puts a skip in your step and you're ready to do it again. Isn't it hard when you're doing something and like... Now you're doing it unto the Lord, right? But if you look around and nobody notices you're doing anything, it's kind of kind of slows you down a little bit. But when someone says, hey, I, I really appreciate that, then it's helpful. Very helpful. Phil Gusky told me at the end of prayer meeting, he says, Steve, you know, I really appreciate Karen and I do about how you preach the word. Yes. All right, let's go. Let's, get, let's preach. There's just something about that that just stirs you on. So you can encourage others in loving good deeds, identify the good deeds being done, and applaud it. That's a way to encourage. Or, likewise, if you see someone who's discouraged, maybe they're, they're, they're doing a work and it, it's kind of difficult. It's a good work they're doing. Encourage them. Say, come on, you can do it. I think you're doing a good work. And even if they're discouraged, that can encourage them in the work, even when they're weary. You can encourage people in love and good deeds when maybe you notice a lack of love and seek to correct them in the right way or... Or maybe even lack of deeds are doing and try to encourage them in the right way. So even there can be a rebuke aspect to this as well, which is a coming alongside trying to, to exhort in the, in the right way. And if you do it right, it's going to encourage them to love more. If you do it wrong, it might just encourage them to not like you or to abandon whatever things that they didn't want to do anyway. But if they respond appropriately to your words, you can keep them on the right track. It takes some study and discernment about people. This is exactly what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Notice it's a discernment. Are they, are they idle or are they weak? Or how are they? Do they need a rebuke or they need a support? They need encouragement? Whatever. You've got to study people in order to know how to speak into their lives to encourage them to love and good deeds. But... But many times, it's more than simply words of encouragement or reproof 
that can help stimulate others to love and good deeds. It may be that you play matchmaker. All right. Now, I'm not talking about Jewish culture where you're, you're matching whatever, Hansel and, and whatever, Rebecca. You're not, you're not, not romance matchmaking. But I'm, I'm talking about matchmaking about opportunity for love and good works and someone with the skills and gifts to do those things and put those two things together. Like, like for instance, you hear somebody struggling financially, like, like budgeting problems or difficulty. And so you, you say, you know what? They're struggling with this, but I know someone like Phil or Gary or Ray who's got some financial expertise in those areas. And, and I tell you what, let me just match you up with those people. Whew. Love and good deeds happen. Budgets get done. Finances get under control. And it's all been because you have matched the need and the opportunity with someone's skill set to be able to meet that need. You've put that together. Or maybe here if someone, I mean, even as mundane as a lawnmower is not working quite right. So you match them up with someone you know who purchased a new lawnmower is looking to get rid of their other one. Right? It's either cheap or free. It's coming. And you just match those up. You can help. Or maybe you hear someone with computer problem. Well, you match them up with someone who's a computer whiz who's willing to, to help. I maybe used to be. I'm struggling with that more and more as I distance myself from the computer industry. But, but people can help. When you match a need with... And people, oh, I didn't even know he did that. Yeah, he did. He did. Here, match him up with that. And, and you match him there. Good way of connecting people. Or maybe even... You have a need, and nobody knows about it. People are willing to help, but they don't even know you have that need. But you can say, I've got a need. You know what? I think that person can help me. And you can even go and ask. And by your fact that you have a need and they can help, you stimulate them to love and good deeds, to love you and do good deeds for you. I mean, what gets better than that? I mean, you get helped, and you have stirred to love and good deeds other people. I mean, that's, that's just wonderful. And here's what I have found. I have, I have found that in, in general, right, that if, um, if people genuinely have a need and are sincerely interested and teachable about how to accomplish that need, people are more than willing to help. It's when they have a need and they're not willing to lift a finger to meet that need that it gets kind of tiring. Or get a finger to help. Well, I just want you to do it. No, 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 no. I want to teach you and train you and show you how I can do it. I want you to show you along. There's more than enough people who are ready and willing to to help. But people need to know of your opportunity in many ways. So even just your, your words can be encouraging or rebuking, but encouraging towards love and good works. Or you're matching up people who can do with problems. Or even there's, there's another way I've I, I thought um, is to bring others along. This is, this is really good. It's it's like, oh, I see an opportunity to serve, and I could just go and meet that need myself, but then who's doing the love and good deeds? Well, I am. But what about like, like bringing Joe along? Hey, Joe, how about you come and join me in this love and good deeds thing we're going to do? Then you're provoking Joe to love and good deeds along with you while you do that. And, and there's benefits there because not only are you doing it, but you're enjoying your friend even who's along with that. It's modeling, doing it with somebody. And you're building up the body of Christ. And I say, families, this is the most effective thing you can do as a family is to model. Fathers, 
model for your children what it means to serve in your family. I know my own failures of that area. But the words of my father ring in my ears. He has told me this, I don't know, about my lifetime, 30, 50 times. Steve, I will not ask you to do anything myself that I haven't done first or that I am willing to do. Everything, fathers, everything, parents, you ask your children to do, you should have done it first before or be willing to do it. But maybe it's an issue of time. Don't just order your children around. Like you don't lift a finger, you're kingpin, and you just order them to do your stuff. That's not going to work. Not to provoke them to love and good deeds. That just provokes them to regret. But use your God-given authority to influence your kids in the way of love and good deeds. You seek to, to serve them. Seek to serve one another. Here's one thing I want you to notice about this. Is that these love and good deeds, is total grassroots movement. It's not a leadership pressed thing. Now, there are some things where there's opportunities, right? There's opportunities to mow the lawn. There's opportunities to shovel the snow. There's opportunities to clean. There's opportunities to help build. There's a, okay, there is some things leadership down, but a lot of this is one another grassroots stuff that is so informal that it's not even a, a question of vision. It's just like people on people mixing with all the dynamics of all the spaghetti of our relationships, and you're kind of figuring that out with one another, urging them on to love and good deeds. Now, I just say this, that, that such a, a, a task takes time. It takes effort. It's not easy, but it's biblical Christianity. And whoever said biblical Christianity is easy and effortless? It's God's call upon our lives how we're to act with one another. And I say this, you, you can't just attend a church service, think that you've accomplished all your God-ordained um, duties. We're called to live in a community to serve one another and to help one another and to, to stir up one another. And if you're off doing your own thing, you and Jesus alone, you've missed a central component of our faith, which is people in community. So you say, how do I do this? Well, let me just give you one big application this morning. I just say, attend a small group. Clarion call. That's Hebrews 25, 10.25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, it certainly has application for Sunday mornings, for sure. That happens here. In fact, we try hard as a church to extend our time together informally talking, providing snacks, right, which trash the carpet and trashes our, our chairs out there and kind of makes a mess. But you know what? It provides an opportunity for people to slow down and linger. Uh, one church we went to um, called it their social hour. Is that what the words they used? And uh, maybe I think we ought to start identifying that time as like a real time, right? We, we have our, our prayer hour or half hour, right? And then we have our service and then we have our social hour. And that social hour is intended for some of this informal uh, church ministry to take place where you start connecting all those things, where you start studying people and asking and finding needs and finding out ways to pray and do good deeds with one another. So in, in some regards, that does work on Sunday morning. But I tell you, there's a total difference between 
standing up in a crowd of people on, on Sunday morning out there than if you're two people like sitting on a couch, uh, kind of sitting on a couch. How are things going? Oh, they're going okay. What's up? Well, you know, just this. And, and you're chatting just one-on-one, kind of just maybe with a few other people. You're all on the couch together. You're all just kind of sitting there and your opportunities come up. You can just, I mean, it's like you're around the dinner table and you're just talking. And I just say opportunities to gather together. What does verse 25 say? For encouraging one another. There's a way that that can take place on the couch in a special way that doesn't take place in a pew. It doesn't take place standing up over some coffee and pretzels or what's today? Chips? I don't know. (laughs) What'd you bring today? Something, some snacks. See, there's something different. I, I heard one, one author talk about the difference between um, meeting in rows or meeting in circles. And there's a difference in meeting in rows and meeting in circles. Each have a purpose, right? But, but it's the circle where you can really, really apply, verse 25, encouraging one another. And so we as elders, Darren, Phil, and I have really said, you know what, what we want to do is try to, try to maximize a small group ministry. We're going to do that this year. We're just going to hear, you're going to hear the mantra often on Sunday mornings. I'm not sure if we're going to hear it here at all, but we're just going to try to say, hey, let's, let's maximize our small groups where a lot of this application can take place. And, um, and, just, and just say this, right? Hey, if you're visiting today at Rock Valley Bible Church, we're glad you're here. If you want to know about Rock Valley Bible Church or way to get involved, you know, the main way we do that is through our small group. So just start attending a small group. We have four of them. Three of them meet Sunday night. In fact, they meet second and fourth Sunday night of the month. In fact, they're meeting tonight. And so why don't you go? You know, we'll have, we're going to have some bulletin boards, kind of where they meet, things like that. One meets on Friday nights. You want to go to that. Just encourage you just to be around a smaller group of people. You get to know them. You get to care for them. You get to love them. You get to know them in a different way. And, and you get involved in a small group. The, the number of your contacts you're going to have throughout the week is a lot more. And it's being driven a lot for, for us, Phil, Darren, and I, just thinking about application one, but also thinking about assimilation, right? Bringing people into the church, into a place where they can just come. And so we're going to push first-time visitors. Hey, why don't you start coming to a, to a group? Now, those are going to start... Not next Sunday, that's Labor Day, but they'll start September 11th. Uh, that evening they're going to start. And so if you're visiting or new to the church, why don't you be involved with one? Um, it will be in the bulletin. It's not in the bulletin this Sunday, but uh, we'll have them there. Uh, we have four of them. And we're also going to try to change our format a little bit. Now, in, in the past, we've focused our attention upon the upcoming sermon. Um, and, and that's good, and it's helped produce some things among us, which is good. And we're not going to jettison that at all, especially going through Romans. It would be so good for you in your groups to, to talk about the text that's coming that I'm going to preach on that next Sunday just as a way to prepare. It's made you better listeners, made you better Bible students, made you better equipped to handle the Word. Uh, but we're also going to make an attempt not just to say, okay, there was Sunday morning, woo, gone, okay, let's forget about that, let's focus on next week. Now, how about, how about this? How about we sit down and say, okay, what, what was preached on Sunday morning? What was taught from the Word? And in community with people, let's just, let's just look. Let's have a response and application time. It, it was interesting that I remember in our, our small group, there was a, that we have done response and application, very little, and then we kind of focus most on the text to preach. One time, I wasn't preaching the next week, so we just did response and application. It was one of the most rich times that we ever had as a small group. And so we're going we're gonna to divide that time, right? You, 
you get together, you pray together, kind of look at the sermon past, uh, look at some things in the future. And I'm going to make some changes as well. What I'm going to start doing starting today, I'm just going to write up some small group questions. So it, this is, is something that I'm, I'm going to do. I'm going to email this to all of you on the weekly word email thing. You'll get this by whatever, 1230 or one o'clock. As soon as everyone's gone, I'm the last one left in church. I'm going to I'm going to shoot this email out. You're going to get it. Now, it's kind of like a dry run. You're not going to, unless you want to just pick this up and, and meet with somebody about these points, about my message today, that'd be a wonderful thing. But here's what you're going to get, all right? Something that looks like this. I'm going to work on getting it a little bit different format. But here's this, small group questions. Question one, and, and this would be something you can work on Sunday afternoon as you prepare for your small group Sunday night, or you can work throughout the week, and just kind of, you can write some notes on here, but mostly just to help conversation, think about what was that? What are the one another's we've looked at this summer? You know, see if you can write all nine, ten of them down. What's the main point of the message today? What in the message touched your heart? Can you relate to leaving church cold? How? What's the difference between going to church and doing church? What are some ways that you have stirred up one another to love and good works? Like, give an example. Like, what, what, what have you done so we can learn from examples? What are some differences between a Sunday morning worship service and a small group? Besides size, location, eating, whatever, I don't know. How many times do you connect with people at the church this week? Blank. Are you content with that number? And, and our hope is small group, as we kind of deal with these things, hopefully we can get into people's lives and just help. I mean, as, as Bill Mills uh, said a couple weeks ago when he was here, we don't need more knowledge of Rock Valley Bible Church. We mean our affection of the heart. And may God affect us in those ways. So that's, that's our, our small group stuff. And you will begin to see, uh, see these. We're just going to emphasize that. And, uh, and now there are ways that you can connect with other people apart from small groups. I get that. That's okay. But this is what we're going to do. Try to bring people into the smaller groups um, settings. And we'll, you know, if we if some get too big and crowded, we can start some new ones and just so there'll be some empty ones that people can fill in the slot. But I just say this. This is so important to your soul. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. This is so important. Of course... Hebrews, Jesus is better, so press on, don't fall back, don't drift, and it's filled with warning passages. In fact, there are five different warning passages in in all the book of Hebrews just saying, don't turn back, don't drift, don't turn away, press on, keep at it, and spells out the dangers if you fall away. But look look at the care of the warning in verse 12, chapter 3, take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you... To fall away from the living God. But exhort one another. Every day. As long as called today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here's the warning. He says take care that you don't have this evil unbelieving heart that that drifts away. And you know how people often drift away? One of the first steps of that is lack of church attendance. Okay. They start, start drifting away. If you look at people who are going away from the faith, they, they just stop 
going to church, church becomes convenient, they start to isolate themselves, they start to be on themselves. But the, the call here is to bring people back in community. In fact, as one, one man said, uh, sanctification is a community project. We need to be together trying to sanctify each other, right? Exhorting, verse 13, exhorting one another every day. As long as called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There is sin, right? Exhorting, encouraging, strengthening. Let's press on. Let's do what's right. That whole time, and it's all, it's, it's, it's all about staying true to the path. Now, the problem with the Hebrews is they were tempted to trip back into their Judaism. And our, our temptation maybe is to drift to the world. That's why the exhortation, 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, it's from the world. The world's passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. And, and that, that's our tendency. We've got so much in the world, the drift in the world. But we need people to exhort us as a community to come back. No, stay with us. Stay, stay here. It is worth it. Let's press on to Jesus. You know, the story is, is told. It's, a, it's an old story. I've heard this illustration many times before about a pastor who visited a family who was drifting from church, not attending church very much. And it's in the old days, and they were heating the house there with some wood and and the, the pastor kind of sat next to him in some quiet moments. He just, he just took his tongs and kind of moved one of the coals that was burning right next to the fire, moved it away all by itself. And you know what happened was all by itself, right? Starts to peter away and, and dim. He said, that's what happens when people drift from community. And then he took his tongue and put it right back in, right back in with the fire, and pretty soon again it was blazing up. And that man was right back in church, right back with the people of God. The illustration was clear. And I just, I just say this, that, that there is an urgency to this. We're warned in chapter 10, verse 25, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you realize that today we are a day closer than we were yesterday to that day? And next week we'll be a week closer than we were a week ago. And, and next month will be a month closer to that day. And, and next year will be a year closer to that day. We just need to realize that we are coming closer and closer. This is of eternal importance. Is that you put yourself around people who are going to help exhort you in the ways of, of righteousness. My fear for Rock Valley Bible Church is the fear of James 1. That we would be just merely hearers of the word and not doers. Who just kind of hear the word and they love the word, right? but it makes no impact on our lives. And I think that through small groups is a great way, or through some dynamic, are you in a relationship where people are helping you to, to walk in a right way? Is your faith just hearing only? That's my hope and prayer uh, that we'll do here at Rock Valley Bible Church. So let, let's pray. Father, you know, God, what we all need. All of us are, are different, different spaces places, different schedules, different dynamics, God, but we do need each other. We really do need each other, and Lord, would pray that, God, with your grace, we would have a, a grace-saturated place that would accept one another and love one another and speak into one another's lives where we could stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So help strengthen us for that task. God, give us wisdom and direction and discernment as to how to see and know 
God, just what is what is right and, and wrong in those places. And so, God, help us to be stirrers of the pot in a good way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.